Welcome to Overlooked, a podcast produced by Tunuka Media. My name is Yemi, and I'll be your host for the show. Released weekly, I share Overlooked stories from around the world with you. This will include the good, the bad, the weird, and sometimes the absolutely hilarious. Come back often, share with your friends, and feel free to add the podcast to your regular podcast rotation, wherever you get your podcasts. You can also connect on social media. Just search for Tunuka Media. That is T-U-N-U-K-A Media. If you learned something new, kindly support the show. Give Overlooked a like or a high rating. This would really help the show grow and get more people like you to learn something new. Finally, if you come across stories or articles that you think should be featured here, please don't hesitate to share them. Now, it's time for this week's episode. Hello everyone, welcome to another episode of Overlooks. I'm feeling particularly optimistic this week because it's been really sunny. Even though we had some storms over here, it's been great and beautiful. I hope you're doing well wherever you are and taking advantage of the sun and the summertime, of course, in a responsible, socially distant way. Over the last two weeks, I've received really positive feedback on the fun facts that I've been throwing in. So here you go. This week, I learned about Felakuti's mom, Fumilayo Ransomkuti. From what I learned, she was truly brilliant, particularly when it came to the story of Nigeria's battle for independence and for gender equality. Her life was full of so many accomplishments, which I will really encourage you to look into. In fact, I have actually included a handy link by UNESCO that featured her. Among other things, she was the very first woman to drive a car in Nigeria, and she was one of the few women in early 1920s Nigeria to receive a post-primary education. Her first well-known political activity came when she led the women's union she formed in protest against attacks on women. At that time, market women were being forced to pay special tax to supervisors who worked for the British. If the women refused to pay, they were often beaten, arrested, stripped, and their houses were searched. In 1947, British colonial officers had started to forbid women from organizing parades and demonstration and then refused to give them permits. In response, she essentially took her status to legendary. What she did is that she started to organize um, the local women into picnics and festivals, in quotes, and up to 10,000 people used to show up. When the picnics somehow turned into an altercation with police, she actually trained the women on how to deal with tear gas and canisters sometimes thrown at them. When that didn't fail and people were arrested, the union she spearheaded used his membership dues to fund legal representation to get people out of jail. Man, that's so cool. The fight for equality, equity, and freedom is a tough one. Those who speak truth to power often put their bodies and life on the line to do so. Generations later, I remain grateful to those who fought that I might have the freedom to do what I do and those who still fight so that future generations can be truly free. Until this week, I did not know much about her. I knew much more about her son, Felakuti. But now that I've learned, so have you. 
Okay, now for this week's stories. There's a startup company that is building a balloon to transport tourists to the edge of space for about 125,000 US dollars. The company called Space Perspective is building a balloon that can transport passengers and research equipment to the edge of space in one round trip. A ride on Space Neptune will take about six hours in total, four hours to travel 100,000 feet and come back, and two hours of leisure time at the destination. The Space Balloon's first trip, which will be unmanned, will take place in early 2021 and is set to launch from NASA's Kennedy Space Center Shuttle Landing Facility in Florida, USA. Space Neptune's balloon will be the size of a football field and will release almost no emissions. Once it has fully ascended, the Earth's curvature and the space's darkness will be visible to people in the balloon. I would be so scared, but I would still go on it a few years after the kinks have been worked out, not right away. You know what though? I think this would be the mind-bending trip of a lifetime for those who believe the Earth is flat. Just saying, just throwing it out there. On July 16th, the Vatican told bishops around the world that they should now start reporting cases of clergy sex crimes to police even when not legally bound to do so. This is part of its effort to protect minors in the church. The Vatican issued a long-awaited manual for bishops and religious superiors in conducting in-house investigations into allegations of priests who rape and molest minors and vulnerable adults. While the Vatican has had detailed canonical norms in place for two decades, the laws continue to be ignored by some bishops, particularly those in developing world and Catholic strongholds like Poland. While the manual does not have the force of a new law, it goes beyond the current Vatican policy about cooperating with law enforcement agencies, prosecutors, and police. The previous policy required bishops and religious superiors to report allegations of sex crimes with minors only where local laws required it. The update now takes out that last requirement for local laws and also warns that bishops can themselves be prosecuted canonically for negligence if they fail to take allegations seriously and investigate them. The manual also makes clear that the types of crimes that fall under sexual abuse is quite broad and includes not only sexual relations, but any physical contacts for sexual gratification, including actions that bishops have frequently dismissed as mere boundary violations. The manual lists exhibitionism, masturbation, pornography production, and conversations and or positions of sexual nature that can occur through a variety of means of communication as crimes that must be investigated. The new manual was issued in half a dozen languages and appears to be aimed, in part, at depriving bishops and religious superiors of their frequent excuses not to carry out preliminary investigations into accused priests. SNAP, the main victims advocacy group in the U.S., said that the issue should be taken out of the hands of the church altogether. I'm Bernard Doyle, co-founder of Bishop Accountability, an online resource center about abuse, said that the manual's non-binding recommendation that bishops should report abuse was incrementally better than the Vatican's past position. Now, over to you, dear listener. Do you think this is an okay improvement? Should more be done? Or should the issue be taken entirely out of the hands of the church? Let me know what you think. More than a century after a tragic ending, the final Romanov mystery has been solved. 
In a stunning announcement, the Russian investigative committee has confirmed that the bones discovered in a forest near the city of Yekaterinburg are those of Russia's last Tsar, Nicholas II, his wife Alexandra, and their five children, Anastasia, Olga, Tatiana, Alexei, and Maria. The committee has carried out about 37 different forensic examinations to confirm. The test results could now lead to the Russian Orthodox Church recognizing the remains for a full burial. Nicholas II, his German-born wife, and their five children were shot by Bolsheviks as a consequence of the October Revolution of 1917. The bodies of the last members of the Romanov dynasty were thought to have been thrown into a mine shaft before being burned and buried. Recent tests have now disproved this. The bodies were first tracked down by amateur historians in 1979, although the discovery was only revealed in 1991. The Russian Orthodox Church had recognized the ex-Tsar as martyred saint in 1981. The Orthodox Church has disputed the authenticity of the bones following a probe under the former Russian president Boris Yeltsin, in which the church said it felt sidelined. The bones of Nicholas II, his wife and three children, Anastasia, Olga, and Tatiana, were interred in St. Petersburg in 1998 under Yeltsin's rule. The remains of the only son Alexei and his daughter Maria were found separately in 2007 and have never been buried. The Russian church in 1997 accorded the entire family as martyrs because of their faith. Many people believe that the Grand Duchess Anastasia, who was 17 at the time of execution, managed to escape the massacre. In the ensuing decades, several women claimed to be Anastasia, none more brazenly than the Polish-born Anna Anderson. Anastasia's escape served as the basis of the 1956 film Anastasia, starring Ingrid Bergman, and the subsequent animated film, the 1997 movie Anastasia, by Fox Animation Studios. In episode 7, I briefly touched on the planned annexation of the West Bank in a story that discussed Israel's Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's ability to form government despite his ongoing court challenges and his alliance with his political rival Benny Gantz. After months of build-up, Israelis and Palestinians had come to think of July 1, 2020 as Annexation Day, the day when Israel would proceed with its plan to formally absorb Jewish settlements in the occupied West Bank into Israel proper. The plans had been filled with controversy and backed by the U.S. government. President Trump's Middle East plan envisions Israel annexing a territory in the amount that is almost a third of the West Bank itself, as well as the adjacent Jordan Valley. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu has pledged not to proceed without approval from the White House, but approval is still pending. As an update, there has still been no news on the annexation plan, especially now that the coronavirus is a priority for most governments. Meanwhile, the Palestinians are still working to drum up international resistance to the plan and has continued to withhold cooperation from Israel on several security and civil affairs. I'll keep you updated as I learn more. When you think of spies, what comes to mind? James Bond, maybe. Covert operations? Probably. How about accidentally releasing an instructional video on how to be a spy? That's unlikely. Well... Iranian spies accidentally leak videos of themselves showing how to hack and steal data from email accounts. Nope, that is not a joke. It is an actual thing that happened. 
I mean, usually when security researchers piece together a step-by-step process of how state-sponsored hacking occurs, they usually have to follow a thin trail of malicious code samples, network logs, and communications to faraway servers. That detective work gets significantly simpler when hackers record what they're doing and then upload the video to an unprotected server on the open internet which is precisely what a group of Iranian hackers may have unwittingly done. Researchers at IBM's X-Force security team have obtained roughly five hours of video footage that appears to have been recorded directly from the screens of hackers. The hackers are working for a group IBM calls ITG-18, and which other security firms refer to as APT-35 or Charming Kitten. That's a cute name. For hackers... The group is one of the most active state-sponsored espionage teams linked to the government of Iran. Wired saw the leaked videos, which was among 40 gigabytes of data that the hackers had apparently stolen from victims' accounts, including the U.S. and Greek military personnel. The data shows hackers accessing compromised Gmail and Yahoo Mail accounts to download their contents and then siphoning off other Google-hosted data from the victims. Google accounts were hacked in four minutes and Yahoo in three. At the end of the day, IBM says it does not expect that this discovery of APT35 videos will slow down the pace of the hacking that the group does. They had one job. Seriously, that's like Spy 101. For the millions that are stuck at home through the coronavirus pandemic, the idea of moving to a Caribbean island for a year sounds like a dream. But now it could actually become a reality. Barbados is planning a year-long visa for visitors who are able to work from home. The new visa program is due to be launched in August and would be open to anyone who earns more than 50,000 US dollars. This downright brilliant scheme is intended to help boost the economy while capitalizing on a shift in work patterns. The visa is expected to cost about 2,000 US dollars for an individual and $3,000 for a family. The family visa price would apply irrespective of number of children, and participants will also need to take out health insurance. For added clarity, this means that if you are looking for work in Barbados, you will not be eligible. This stamp is specifically and strictly for people that work from home in countries outside of Barbados. Of course, because we are still in the midst of a global pandemic, There are some restrictions attached to ensure that everybody's kept safe. So visitors will need to complete an online immigration and customs form 24 hours prior to arrival, present a negative COVID-19 PCR test result taken within 72 hours of traveling, take a test upon arrival if unable to present a negative test from the prior 72 hours, wear a mask, and if positive, you will be isolated until you recover and may choose to either continue your vacation or go home. Tourism makes up about 40% of Barbados's economy, employing 26,000 people according to the Barbados Hotel and Tourism Association. So if you can afford it and also have the flexibility to do so, you might as well escape to a beautiful island. Would you go if you could? Let me know. Shrinkflation. When goods are made smaller, but still hold exactly the same price. High-profile examples include Mars Shrinky Maltesers, M&Ms, and Minstrels by up to 15%. In 2016, 
Tall Baron Chocolate widened the gaps between the iconic triangular chocolate bars to avoid putting up its prices. They said that it needed to make the change because of the high cost of ingredients. I mean, even toilet paper has not been spared from shrinkflation. This usually happens when the cost of doing business rise, and yes, once prices go up, they stick to the top. Some call it deceptive, some call it marketing. At the end of the day, you are paying the same amount for less. Psychologically speaking, you feel like you're paying the same amount because the cents and the dollars do not look any different on your pocketbook. But because you're getting less quantity, you have to buy more often or in a larger volume. You have probably already figured out what the subject matter of the next story is. Mandalus, the owner of Cadbury Chocolate, is being accused of shrinkflation. Cadbury Chocolate bars sold in multi-packs will now shrink by the end of 2021. Mandalus has said that this is for health reasons, by reducing the calorie count. But yes, you guessed it, the price is not changing. Bars that are sold individually will also not shrink. Consumers are not buying it. The announcement has been followed by backlash on social media. The question being this. If the main concern is health rather than profit, then why is it that the bars that are sold individually are staying the same? Remember that case of shrinkflation with Tolberon that I discussed earlier? Yes, Mandolas owns them too. So this is not the first time that they have been accused of shrinkflation. In the case of Tolberon, they eventually reversed the change to the weight in 2018. According to a food and drink supply chain expert, Mark Jones, because recession may be around the corner as a result of coronavirus, we are likely going to see more and more cases of shrinkflation. Only this time, producers are likely to point to something else as motivation rather than price and profit margins. In a side note from your friendly neighborhood podcast host, if you want to check for shrinkflation, rather than looking at the sticker price, look at the price per weight in grams, pounds, kilograms, or in the case of toilet paper, per sheet. This gives you a better price comparison than the outright sticker price. I am all about getting value for money. So what do you think? Are the reasons that they gave for reducing the quantity reasonable? Would you rather keep the same size and pay more, or have them reduce the size and pay less? Personally, I would rather have the size reduced and pay less for the same quality of product. Anyway, that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you so much for spending a part of your day with me. I wish you a very blessed week ahead. Stay safe out there, people. for listening friends as a reminder the podcast is released weekly subscribe or follow across social media to be notified when a new episode is released overlooked is a tunuka media production which also includes shows like africa in my kitchen with more on the way follow tunuka media on instagram youtube facebook and twitter to connect to say hi or to be on the forefront of upcoming shows and program schedules until next time i'm your host yemi Wishing you a better tomorrow.